0: Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman. Earlier this year, struggling businesses GameStop and AMC Entertainment Holdings saw their stock prices skyrocket overnight thanks to a short squeeze initiated by a group of amateur investors online. It was r Street Bets, a coalition of largely amateur investors on Reddit, the site known as the front page of the internet, that created a surge of interest in a number of stocks being shorted by some of Wall Street's largest funds. The biggest, Melvin Capital, closed its short position on GameStop on January 27th. The fund began the year with $12.5 billion in assets under management and ended January with just over $8 billion. To many, this was a brave new form of financial activism, and to others, a terrifying new form of speculation. Today, Think Business Futures looks back on those whirlwind months of January and February when it seemed like Occupy Wall Street had finally moved online. Joining me to discuss this today is Noam Corbel, Director of Compare Forex Traders, an Australian online trading platform, and Professor Michelle Baddeley, Professor in Economics and Director of Research and Development at the UTS Business School. Thank you both for joining us. We'll start with you, Noam. So if you could, just from your perspective, give me just a brief history of what you felt over those first initial months during January when GameStop and AMC in particular were suddenly gaining a huge amount of traction online.
1: From our perspective at our business, we were, um, we noticed a huge increase in traffic to our website. I think it was, you know, the, the balloon effect of um, all these people researching securities and shares and investments and the like. So I definitely, I don't think we were like direct beneficiaries of like this hype, but we definitely saw like a nice bounce in traffic, which was probably like a bigger increase year on year than say like, you know, the, the, the normal December, January jump we get in traffic. So Mm-hmm there were certainly a lot more people in the market researching, you know, investing and finance.
0: Did that surprise you at all? Because obviously the main attraction for the market was Wall Street bets. There was essentially an element of activism almost in the way that the the main goal for a lot of online traders was to, to essentially render the shorts of major uh, Wall Street firms obsolete. Obviously GameStop, the most famous of those. But is there a fair amount of crossover between markets? If you see something really big happening in one particular the market is it likely that that same sort of momentum is going to cross over into others or is that is that actually quite rare
1: well on a lot of trading platforms like you can now access like multiple instruments and multiple markets i guess the commoditization of of i guess investing and trading with the likes of um stake and superhero and robin hood in the u.s you know you're certainly seeing more and more people uh, and more and more like i guess you know retail traders you know kind of flock to the market. So I, I don't think like the currency market is is immune from that. Like it's it's all kind of into interconnected.
0: So, Michelle, we'll cross to you now. They do obviously say a lot about behavioural economics and the way that people perceive value, in particular. Just to start off, while you were watching a lot of this occur, as a behavioural economist, what were your initial thoughts?
2: These uh, bubbles in financial assets, and so in this case, in stocks and shares. I mean, the economists are very good at having competing explanations. It, it's actually not irrational to buy into a rising market, even if the prices seem on purely fundamental grounds seem to be going too high. So the classic example of this is tulip mania back in, in the 17th century in Amsterdam, when people were paying you know, the equivalent of what they would pay for three storey house in central Amsterdam for one tulip bob. Now, some people might argue that that is an irrational thing to do, but If you spend $1 million on a tulip bulb, for example, and you sell it for $1.2 tomorrow, that's not an irrational thing to do. So people are buying into... So the rational explanation, which is distinct from behavioural economics, the rational explanation is that you buy into a rising market regardless of what you think the long-term value might be if you think that the bubble is continuing to grow and is unlikely to burst in the short term. So it's a balancing of risk. What's the what's the chance that the bubble will burst? What's the chance that it will that it will continue? So that that's the sort of standard uh, efficient markets view, if you like, a, a view from a financial analyst who who thinks that financial markets work work efficiently. But from I've been interested in behavioural finance for very many years and finance more generally for very many years. And if you talk to real world people in financial services they they largely agree that this idea that financial markets work efficiently and really are reflecting the true value of something is is a canal it's it's just not true and so the other explanation so that would be that the sort of rational bubbles idea that it's rational to pay a very high price for something if you think the price is going to go even higher there's some truth to that in, in my view from behavioral economics perspective there's there's a range of explanations for that. And so something that I'm particularly interested in comes around financial herding. And so, which is something that I, I talked about a bit in my book, Copycats and Contrarians. And in a financial herding explanation, you know, you've got you've got investors, retail investors all piling into a particular stock or financial asset, whether it be tulip bulbs or, or games game stock shares. And they see other people doing it, and so they buy into it themselves. So again, the economic explanation for that can be divided into two parts. Is that rational or is it irrational? A rational explanation would be, well, particularly if you're an amateur investor, and I think some of the experimental researchers found that there are distinct differences between amateur and professional investors. If you're an amateur investor, you don't know much about the market. What are you going to do? Where's your information going to come from? You're going to look at what other people are doing because you don't have much of much information of your own to base your your decisions and choices upon and so you'll follow others and that's not necessarily irrational i mean the classic example the one about going to a restaurant if there's a long queue for a restaurant you might more likely to go into that restaurant than another restaurant that's empty because you're inferring that everyone else knows something about some good food in, in the restaurant with long queue and so that's a, so there's a bit of a rational explanation for that you're you're looking at what other people are doing you don't know much yourself so it makes sense to sort of copy what others are doing because they might know more than than, than you know she goes back to John Maynard Keynes who in his book The General Theory of Employment Interest and money in nineteen thirty-six. You had a fascinating chapter on how all these the, be, the the behavior and psychology in financial markets. And he said the same. You know, you, you look to other people. If you are ignorant, you look to other people and decide accordingly. Mm. Professional investors in in financial markets tend to be tend to be less susceptible to to these social influences. But the other side, which is quite fascinating, so that sort of standard economics rational agent sort of view. On the other side, the psychologists looking at mass behaviour and a sort of groupthink mentality that unfolds, and the fact that crowds behave quite differently than individuals that were susceptible to peer pressure, that we are obedient to authority. There are all sorts of social influences going on there that aren't rational in that way of a standard economics model. And that's where the behavioural economics, behavioural finance starts to come in, that we... Worry what other people are thinking, not because it's got anything to do with how much money we might make or or not, but because we're susceptible to what other people are doing around us. We're susceptible to peer pressure and all of these sort of socio-psychological influences are absolutely crucial as well.
0: Is it possible to translate any of that financial activism into forex trading? Or when we're talking about currencies, is that a very different story? Could you, for example, trade against a particular currency if you felt that you had a moral obligation to do so, let's say based on that particular country's foreign policy or or treatment of a particular group domestically? Is that something that you could potentially see happen?
1: I I don't think so. I mean, the currency market is significantly bigger than the equities market and like the amount of volume traded is ginormous. So no, I don't don't think you'd ever really be able to get, I I don't think you'd be able to get a bunch of activists together to kind of manipulate like the, you know, the movements in currencies um, like you would an actual stock. I guess the similarity is you know, when it comes to kind of shorting a stock, you're also kind of, you're, you're speculating on, you know, the future trajectory of like a particular business. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, in the currency markets, you're effectively doing the same thing. You're taking on leverage and speculating mm-hmm. the future kind of direction of a currency pair. So the USD versus the AUD. So I guess that that's probably like where the similarity ends. You know, currency markets are, are so much bigger and there's so much more volume that it would, it would be, Very, very difficult for anyone to kind of control that many units. Um, of a particular instrument to be able to manipulate the price.
0: So much, almost all of this traction and momentum was generated online and then there was sort of an aftershock from the media coverage which in many ways um, incited people who may not have initially been involved but certainly saw the media coverage, perceived it as almost a financial counterculture in a sense and then were more than willing to jump on board thinking that they were part of a a, a counterculture movement, something that was quite unique for the time. but yep. from your perspective, when when you're actually looking at the modeling, how does online traction differ from any other interest?
1: So conventionally like the things that I guess you know um, impact price movements in like you know financial instruments like securities and stocks and stuff like that is normally is normally like market sentiment um, and also you know the fundamentals of that particular. Like business or or, or stock. I think, you know, what um, I guess, you know, meme stocks and kind of, you know, Reddit and like, you know, all these online trends do is they kind of build sentiment and they build support and they build like momentum. And I think, you know, if you are, I guess, quite savvy and I guess at the top of your game when it comes to, you know, executing on trades, like there's a lot of money to be made, but it's a it's fraught with danger. I don't think it's the little guys that ultimately, like, you know, end up winning out. Um, I think it relies, you know, to be able to kind of take advantage of this, um, you know, massive people, uh, you know, trying to manipulate a particular stock, like, like what we saw with GameStop. You know, it relies on some pretty extensive, like, you know, software and, um, you know, try, trade execution speeds um, to be able to kind of get in and get out of a particular stock um ahead of the curve a lot of the time you know a mom and dad investor or someone that's just trading on one of these kind of free or very cheap trading platforms won't be able to kind of take advantage of that momentum completely sometimes you know they could you know they could be you know the last one in and 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 the last one out and they're kind of left kicking the can so it is fraught with danger Everyone, everyone, always loves to talk about like you know, the money they made. No one likes to talk about the money they've lost, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that lost money too.
2: So my view, so some of the the research I did with neuroscientists a few years back, we did some brain imaging experiments to try and test this explanation. So I'm a great fan of Maynard Keynes, and so I, you know I love his stuff and, and the way he writes. And so I, my starting view was, oh, it must all be irrational, um, social, psycholo- psychological, things happening. But in fact, when we did these brain imaging experiments on something like, you know, you're seeing a group of other people buying a share or not. Are you going to copy them or not? So it was that sort of simple idea. And what we found was that it seemed to tap into two areas of the brain. So there's an area of the brain associated with, for want of a better word, um, more evolved thinking. Uh, So the prefrontal cortex, logical reasoning. But there's other areas of the brain that are. To be simplistic, more more primitive, uh, more driven by emotions. And what we found from our brain imaging experiments is that both were activated. So when people are following a bubble or chasing GameStop, there, there's probably two things going on there. There's a bit of you know I want to do what everyone else is doing, and I it's an instinct. Uh, but maybe also you know other people might know more than I do, so I'm going to going to get into it. So that that's a basic idea about a bubble generally but of course GameStop is fascinating for other reasons as well.
0: And does it sort of upend the any precedent about a large group of amateur investors that maybe don't possess the same understandings of the market than their professional counterparts having such an enormous influence upon Yeah. what was, you know, really yes. quite like a novel stock um but has that ever been seen before or is it really the first time that such a large group's been able to work effectively together
2: i think i think this was particularly high profile and what i find interesting you know so this has happened before but as with many things it has happened on a small scale and people haven't noticed it just just this this captured the public imagination because it is it, it's um it's a wonderful story about how the little person took on you know the the big the, the big financial short sellers and so so there's something lovely about that narrative i think that that these people these amateur investors weren't doing it to to make money
0: a lot of that interest once wants- the prices of those particular stocks started to cool off and uh, sort of the novelty started to wear off. A lot of that interest, has that been transferred into other markets? Are we seeing a lot of those people moving off into crypto, which is taking off at the moment and things like that? It's, it's mum and dad investors, people at home, uh, a lot of young people as well, who may not necessarily understand the rigours of the market. Um, and they've had their fun for a very brief moment in time, and now they're going to disappear. Do you think that's more likely?
1: I think um, I think this is here to stay. I think also, like you know, COVID was probably like a perfect storm in conjunction with this, which caused like mass uptake in kind of trading and speculating on currencies and stocks and crypto. The reason being is. You know, a large part of, like, the Northern Hemisphere is still in lockdown. You know, they may be kind of coming out of it, but, like, they're still in lockdown working from home. You know, people, like, you know, aren't busy going out and socialising as much as they were. And um, I think, you know, this is um, something they are spending, you know, an increased amount of time on, speculating on markets, trying to have a punt um, on this type of on this type of thing. And they're doing so because they're home and they're available and they're free and they've got the time to do so. Um so I think, you know, I think it all kind of created a perfect storm for like, you know, like these meme stocks and 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 GameStop and AMC and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's a combination of a few factors. It's it's not just this. Um but yeah, look, and, and then then you've also got, you know, these these trading platforms that are making access easier. So I certainly think it's here to stay.
0: And you yourself are involved in in an online platform. Do you find that there is too little regulation particularly when we're talking about robin hood which i believe isn't even available in australia but uh is still one of those names that's synonymous with the whole saga uh do you think there needs to be more regulation or do you just think that the market will naturally correct itself and those platforms that are offering very very cheap trades to people who don't really understand what that entails are just going to shrivel up and die naturally
1: I think, look, I think it's an element of both. I think the regulator needs to be on top of things to make sure that um, it's not getting out of control too quickly. But at the same time, you know, I, I think things over time do tend to correct themselves. Um, you know, sometimes over-regulation can kind of have the opposite effect. So, for instance, like in, for instance, in our in our industry, the, the government's about to, or well, the ASIC's about to announce, like, you know, product and intervention powers, and they're about to kind of, um, impact the amount of, I guess, margin and leverage um, clients can take on when when speculating on currencies and other instruments such as crypto, um, because the world is because it really is like a global, a global world now, and everyone's kind of connected. It's it's not too difficult for someone to just engage with a trading house overseas where they can get access and get average and, and access to you know these like the leverage amounts that, um, you know, that, that ordinarily be getting in Australia, if not for these, like the changes in leverage. So I think, you know, if I was a trader, I would rather trade onshore in Australia because I think, you know, the regulator does a good job and Australia is seen as a pretty safe place to kind of um, operate in and do business in, um, you know, when you're trading in with a trading house that is licensed under like another, regulator and there are plenty of good ones around the world as well as an australian you're not necessarily going to be afforded the same rights as you would if you were an australian trading in australia so i think we want to make sure that the little guy is protected and that you know that the markets are, are operating as you know efficiently and as fairly as possible as, as possibly you know also need to be mindful that if we impose too much regulation all it might do is just encourage people to kind of go and trade in other jurisdictions and other and other markets. And and then, you know, the ASIC, like ASIC and, and the regulator here is really powerless to kind of protect that person.
0: Ultimately, the question comes down to, are people willing to accept that it was a form of financial activism or are people taking the opinion that it was a push by retail traders who didn't really understand the consequences of their novel little nostalgic trip down memory lane by trying to restore the value of a company that whose business model was rendered archaic about ten years ago. Do you think that there is such a thing as financial activism? Is that really an actual phenomenon or is that just a nice way of portraying what happened?
2: I think it will start now if it hasn't started already, because I think it's a great Idea. Well, no, the you know the financial regulators, I guess, will will, will have things to say about it. But I I, I don't know for sure, and I'll, I'll be really interested to, to find out more. But for these activists, sh- this short activism, it strikes me that they they did know what they were doing. At least some of them, because how do you take on these these big guys if you don't really know what you do? Because it's not that easy to get this short squeeze happening to sort of, you know, foil the short sellers in their plans. Uh, and so my hunch would be there was some form of coordination, at least at the basic level. So you get the coordination between a small group, use Reddit to get the information out there to all the rest. And so the amateur investors are piling in on something that's started by a small and cohesive group. But that's just my educated guess.
0: And just uh, one more question for you, Noam. It's a bit of a strange one, but obviously GameStop and AMC, both American uh, entities, if you had to pick two or one stock in Australia domestically that could potentially follow a similar trajectory to GameStop and could generate the same sort of novel value to an online market as GameStop did, do you think that there are any potentially out there?
1: The biggest... The biggest target, and, and it's probably quite timely, is um, Rio Tinto because of them, I guess, you know, blasting those Ducan Gorge Caves. You know, they 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 apologised unreservedly um, to the uh, Putu and I think it was Pinikura people for destroying like a, a holy site for them. Um, so I think, you know, if, if you know, these... These big corporates seem to to do the wrong thing and they get enough people offside, I think they're they'd probably be right for the picking and something like that could have happened um to them too. Um, I mean, like I know that I know like with big funds in Australia, they were looking at kind of closing out like a lot of their short positions because they were scared that, you know, these There'd be like a like a, a follow on effect of what's happening in America in Australia too. So I, I definitely think that you know big big corporates and big hedge funds are keeping a close eye on this um, to make sure it doesn't impact them the way it impacted a bunch of these big hedge funds in America. Yeah, but I think you know if, if you know if if these businesses do right by people and I guess they're not evil, then they don't have a target on their back. I guess.
0: Well, that's about where we close our short position for this week. Now, in mid-March, the heat has died down considerably on GameStop and AMC. GameStop shares in late February and early March had pushed the price back to under $300 Australian. And in late March, the share price sits at a comfortable $250. Not bad for the power of nostalgia. But despite the issues with longevity, GameStop will forever occupy a place in the history of financial trading a name now synonymous with the power of internet culture to shift billions of dollars. Now, once again, thank you to our guests, Noam Corble, Director of Compare Forex Traders, and Professor Michelle Baddeley. Think Business Futures is broadcast from the studios of 2SER, 107.3 FM in Sydney, on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and would not be possible without the assistance of the UTS Business School and our national broadcast partner, the Community Radio Network. You can catch us online as well as listen to some older episodes wherever you source your podcasts. I've been Max Tillman. I'll see you again next week.